0: Welcome to Capital City
1: Christian Church. My name is Joe. Why don't you please stand while we worship this morning. I was very
2: beneath my shed.
3: More than just an earthly king, Father, He is God. Coming to this earth, Father, You made it abundantly clear that that's what You wanted us to see. You came to this earth so that we can know You in such an intimate way. God, thank You so much for light and hope. Thank You so much for resurrection and salvation. Thank you for this good news of Jesus Christ. It's why we're here, to be able to give you everything. When we learn these things, it's not enough to just know them in our heads. We have to live them out. And, Father, that's what we want to do when we come together in this family to praise you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. i I want to be able to remember that as we come into a time that truly matters to us in Cap City. So you might want to take a break for a second. We're about to go to the tables. You can sit down if you want. Or stand up, it does not matter to me. But I do want you to know that we're about to go to the tables to remember what Jesus Christ has done. Today is about the claims of Jesus Christ and what he has said about himself. The one that we really want to center on is the fact that he is God in person. He is God. In in the flesh, none of this matters if that wasn't true if he was just a great guy he talked about love people thought he was really really nice it wouldn't matter but because he was God and he came to this earth and he died on a cross for us he did what we could not do he gave us hope when we had none he gave us light when there was darkness and now all of that comes down to the culmination of Jesus Christ on the cross, his death, and his burial, and his resurrection. So what we want to do is remember that every time we get together, that sacrifice that Jesus Christ has made. We call that communion. And When we do that, we are going to go around to the tables in just a few moments and take some bread and some juice. Both of those things are helping us to remember that this was a sacrifice that he made of his body and his blood. And these emblems are a way for us to remember that each week. So when you go to the tables, you're going to see that and be able to take that together. And this place is your home. You give offerings to, the, to this home so that we can uh, help people that are in need in this community, help people that are, uh, um, you know, the missions that are outside of this place. This is what we do with our offerings. And so it's not something that we are, want you to do with a, a heart that says, well, I, I don't want to give to places that are going to talk about money. You don't have to do anything like that. But if you want to come to this place because it's your home and you want to give something to people, that we'll be able to use for the glory of Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to do with our offerings here. You have a chance to do that at the tables as well. We even have something beyond that. It goes straight to people that uh, uh, have these special projects in this need. We call that the generous bucket. So anything beyond your extra offering that you want to give, know that it is going straight to people who are going to need it. So go ahead and stand back up now. I told you to get a little bit of a break. You're going to go to the tables and be reminded of that, reminded of what Jesus Christ has done. He is God.
4: Since the Christian movement began, followers of Jesus Christ have said he was God in human form. But what about Jesus himself? Who did he think he was? With the rise of textual criticism and the modern study of history, historians have developed tools to unlock this question. Today, Jesus of Nazareth is no longer just a figure in a stained glass window, but a real person of history whose life can be investigated historically. So let's examine the New Testament, not as inspired scripture, but as an ordinary collection of ancient documents. Let's apply to them the standard tests we would use with regard to any other ancient sources. When historians investigate the Jesus of history, what do they find? First, Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. The Jews of Jesus' day were waiting for a promised Messiah a descendant of King David, a warrior king who would bring military victory and spiritual renewal to Israel. They were familiar with the prophet Zechariah's ancient words, Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey. Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey the final week of his life is attested in independent sources, one of the most important criteria for the historicity of an event. In doing this, Jesus was deliberately and provocatively claiming that he was the promised Messiah, the King of Israel. Moreover, the plaque nailed to Jesus' cross stated the charge against him. In mockery of his messianic claims, The fact that later Christians did not use this derisive title for Jesus underscores its authenticity. For first century Jews, the word Messiah was packed full of meaning. By assuming this title, Jesus was claiming all of this for himself. Jesus also claimed to be the Son of God. Jesus' consciousness of being God's Son in a unique sense comes to expression in his parable of the vineyard. This parable matches Jesus' teaching style and employs Jewish motifs typical of his day, such as Israel as a vineyard, God as a father, the religious leaders of that time as tenants, and God's prophets as servants sent to the tenants. Once there was a man who planted a vineyard. Before leaving the country, he leased it to tenants. At harvest time, he sent a servant to collect his share of the fruit of the vineyard, but the tenants beat him and sent him away empty handed. So the owner sent more servants, but these two were beaten or killed. Finally, he sent his one and only son saying, surely they'll respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir, let's kill him and the vineyard will be ours. So, they killed the owner's son. What do we learn from this parable about Jesus' self-understanding? He thought of himself as the only son of God, God's final messenger, distinct from all the prophets and even the heir of Israel itself. Third, Jesus claimed to be the son of man. This was Jesus' favorite self-designation, being used some 80 times in the Gospels. This has convinced the vast majority of New Testament historians that Jesus did, in fact, think of himself as the Son of Man. Notice, not just a Son of Man, but the Son of Man. Jesus was directing our attention to a vision described by the prophet Daniel. I saw in the night, visions. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, and glory, and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. At Jesus' trial, the Jewish high priest accused Jesus, Are you the Messiah? the Son of God. His answer left no room for doubt. I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. By applying all three of these titles to himself, Jesus was claiming in no uncertain terms that he was the very God his accusers worshiped. It's no surprise the Jewish court charged him with blasphemy and condemned Him to death. But that's not all. New Testament historians are agreed that the historical Jesus also claimed to have divine power and authority to perform miracles, cast out demons, revise Old Testament law, and forgive sins. He even went so far as to claim that everyone's eternal destiny is determined solely by whether we believe in Him. Jesus' self-understanding cannot be reduced to that of a Jewish teacher or a charismatic leader, no. In fact, by putting himself in God's place, Jesus was making a far greater claim about himself than anyone else ever has before or since. So the question Jesus asked his disciples confronts each of us as well. Who do you say that I am?
5: good morning let's pray together Mm -hmm. father so grateful that we can be here today and we know that you're here and we want to honor you so we pray that the words of our mouths and the thoughts of our hearts will please you in the name of Christ we pray amen so bottom line if you're not going to worship Jesus if you're not going to accept Jesus as your Savior and Lord you better hope you stayed dead, right? I'm serious. You better hope that this whole Easter thing is a fairy tale. Think about it. If you're not going to worship him, not going to follow him, you hope he was wrong, way wrong, about who he thought he was, what he promised, what he demanded. Because if Jesus was right and we're not wrapping our life around him, guys I know he loves us and he's trying as hard as he can but we're host now how many of you old guys in here have heard of an old dead guy named Gandhi okay, go ahead and raise your hand okay now how many of you guys remember seeing Gandhi okay if you raise your hand you're really really old okay Vern, I think Vern saw him once or twice, because Vern is really, really old. Gandhi died in 1948, 74 years ago. Amazing guy. He was committed to nonviolence, and yet he still led India to independence from Great Britain, kind of like their George Washington, except he was without a gun. Philosopher, a devout Hindu, kind of Mother Teresa-like, and very respectful of Jesus, he thought stupidly. Because guys, how can you respect the real Jesus if you don't worship him? And Gandhi didn't worship him. Because guys, Jesus didn't leave that option open to us. What Gandhi respected was a picture of Jesus that he tweaked, that he retouched, that he edited. Not the real Jesus. Here's what Gandhi said. We think he says, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians cause Christians are so unlike your Christ. Have you ever heard that quote before? Now, there are a whole lot of people leaving the church right now saying something like that. I like Jesus. I just don't like Jesus followers. A lot of people don't want to diss Jesus, but they pretty much despise us, Jesus followers. And I get it. I mean, Jesus was a guy who was all about love, acceptance, compassion, and stuff like that, and we Jesus followers are oftentimes not very loving, not very accepting, not very compassionate. I get it. I understand why a lot of people don't like us, but I'm not sure that Gandhi would have liked the real Jesus either. I mean, Gandhi liked his wisdom, his compassion, his courage, but I know that Gandhi would not have liked what Jesus demanded, what Jesus claimed. There are people around us today who want to like Jesus, but no more than that, right? I don't think they would like the real Jesus either. You see, if you're not a Jesus follower, you better hope he was wrong, dead wrong. If you're not a Jesus follower, you really need to hope that he stayed dead. Because if Jesus was right and if Jesus is not dead, well, I know he loves us and I know he tried so hard that he went to a cross for us. We're still host. You see, a whole lot of people want to call Jesus a great man, a great great example, a great moral teacher, maybe the greatest ever, right? But if you actually read the stories about, about Jesus from the people who actually knew him, you're not going to find anybody calling him a great man, a great example, a great moral teacher only. You're not going to find people in that world liking Jesus. According to C.S. Lewis, Jesus provoked one of three responses: you hated him, you were terrified of him, or you followed him. And that guys is the real Jesus. And if that's the real Jesus, where do you fall? You see, I think that was Jesus' plan. I don't think Jesus came here to be liked. Because you can like someone and still blow them off, right? Jesus didn't come here to be liked. Jesus came here to be God. And when people encounter Jesus, it seems like, first of all, they were fascinated by him. And then often they were disappointed in him because he wouldn't follow their agendas. And then often, usually, they rejected him. That's how people responded to the real Jesus. See, bottom line, it isn't going to matter a hill of beans who I think Jesus was. And it's not going to matter a hill of beans who you think Jesus was. What matters is who did Jesus think he was and was he right? Who was he? And if your idea of Jesus doesn't match up with Jesus' idea of Jesus, then you've got to hope he stayed dead. Because Jesus thought he was God. Jesus didn't see himself as a great man, a great example, a great moral teacher. He came to be God, our God. I'll show you. See, the real Jesus kept making these what I call God-sized promises. The kind of promises that if I made them, you would look at me and you'd say something like, Bless your heart, right? Which is Southern for you are so stupid, right? And then you'd whisper something to someone else like, I think they put something in his bacon, right? I mean, the promises of Jesus are so wild, so insanely crazy, that no man could ever keep those promises. Listen to the kind of promises that The real Jesus made. Now, Jesus looked down at a paralyzed guy one time and he says, your sins, your sins against God, all of them, your sins are forgiven. I forgive your sins, he says. And the people who are watching Jesus say, you can't do that. It's not how it works. I mean, I think I can forgive when you sin against me, but how can I forgive you for your sins against God? God is the only one who can forgive sins against God, right? So basically, they look at Jesus and they said, this is blasphemy. He's acting like God. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus kind of looks at him and nods and says, yeah, you're right. Let me prove to you that I can forgive your sins against God. And he heals the guy and it's not just the sins of this paralyzed guy Jesus says those people who listen to me those people who believe in me those people who follow me will never be condemned for their sins against God but you have already passed from death into life Jesus looks at you and he says I know you're messed up but if you follow me when you stand before God I will forgive you now that is a promise no man can keep right? It's playing God. How about this one? God-sized promise. Jesus says, I came here. My purpose for coming here is that you might have life in its fullness, which means without me, you're not. I came that you might have life in its fullness. The message puts it like this. I have come that so you can have real life, which means without him, you're not. Eternal life, without him, you don't. More and better life than you've ever dreamed of. And Jesus wasn't making that promise to the three intimate disciples or the 12 disciples, however many that is, or anybody who saw him, heard him, touched him physically. Jesus made that promise to every single man, woman, and child for all of time. He says, I came here to give you the kind of life that God made you for. That is a big promise, guys, a God-sized promise. What if... What if Jesus can actually pull it off? And Jesus doesn't stop there. It's not just about promising a better life in this world. Jesus looked at us one time and he said, I am the resurrection, I am the life. Trust me guys, if I said something like that, you just wouldn't be saying, bless your heart. You'd be firing me and then committing me, I hope. He says, anyone who believes in me will live even after he dies. Huh? And then he says, everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Because we're hybrids, right? Part physical, part spiritual, physical bodies, they're all going to die. What about the spiritual part? What if our spiritual part was meant to do life with God even after this physical body dies? And what if life with God after death hinges on whether or not we follow Jesus or not as he said it did it's what Jesus claimed Jesus said one time those who declare publicly that they belong to me here on this earth I'm going to do the same when they stand before God in heaven holy cow In other words, Jesus says, when you stand before God, what you do with me now is going to dictate what God does with you then. If you follow me, Jesus says, you're in. If you don't, bottom line, he came here to give us a way in. Those are God-sized promises, aren't they? Jesus says, I can forgive your sins against God, every single one of them. What would that be worth to you? I mean, I know what it's going to be worth to you someday. What's it worth to you right here, right now? Jesus says, I can give you a way better life than you can live without me. The kind of life that God meant you to live in this world. What would that be worth to you? If Jesus could give you a way better life than you can do life without him in this world. And Jesus says, not only can I give you a way better life in this world, I can give you heaven. What's that going to be worth to you? I know what it's going to be worth to all of every one of us someday. What is that worth to you right here, right now? And what if Jesus was right? What if Jesus can keep promises like this, these God-sized promises? What would you give? What would you be willing to give up to claim those promises? Because Jesus not only made God-sized promises, he also made these God-sized demands. But think about it. What could you give up in this world that would be of more value than what he offers you? I mean, that's the kind of the definition of madness, isn't it? To refuse to give up something good for something that is infinitely better. Well, Jesus promises way better, but he says there is a cost. He made these demands, and he says, it's going to cost you everything to follow the real Jesus. I'm going to show you three of his demands. They're actually the same demand, just put three different ways. Here's the first. Jesus says, those who come to me cannot be to my disciples unless they love me more than they love their father, their mother, their wife, their children, their brothers and sisters, and even themselves. Huh. And then look at this one. Here's the second. Jesus said, next slide if we could. Oh, you've already got it up there. My bad. Anyone who doesn't carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. You've got to carry your own cross, he says. And then he says, you can't be my disciple unless you give up everything that you have. In other words, all it's going to take is all you've got. So, bottom line, here's what Jesus is saying. Following Jesus has to be so important that by comparison... Any other devotion that you might have in this world pales by comparison. Real Jesus has to be more important to you than your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your wife, your husband, your kids, your grandkids. Real Jesus has to be more important to you than anything else that you might put first in your life. Do you believe that? That is a God-sized demand. And then he says, following Jesus has to be so important that literally, literally, you have to be willing to die if that's what it takes. Even excruciatingly, shamefully. That's what it costs, he says. That willingness. That's what it sounds like he's saying. Sounds like he's saying, don't follow me unless you're willing to go all the way, guys, to the cross. That is a demand worthy of God. Worthy of God only. And then he kind of wraps it all up with this one. He says, so no one can become my disciple without giving up everything you've got for me. Message puts it like this. He says, simply put, if you're not willing to take what's dearest to you, whether plans, people, kiss it goodbye, you can't be my disciple, which pretty much sums it all up, doesn't it? Are you willing to put Jesus ahead of anything person in your life, any possession in your life, any pleasure in your life, any pursuit in your life, are you willing to make Jesus first in everything? A demand worthy of God. Now, any man making a demand like any one of these (laughs) would be outrageous. I mean, if I said something like that, none of you would say, bless your heart. You'd call me Stark Raven Mad. And any man who made demands like these would be a diabolically evil man, a maniacal lunatic. But what if Jesus wasn't a man? What if he really was the Son of God? What if he really was God? Would you actually want a God who would demand less from you? Isn't that what it boils down to, really? Is he the kind of guy who can keep outrageous promises? Is he the kind of guy that such outrageous demands should be taken seriously? Who is he? Well, I can tell you who he claimed to be. And these are crazier yet, guys. I could give you a boatload of these, but I've just kind of narrowed it down for time's sake just to three. I mean, Jesus blew their minds with this one. One time he said, guys, I am the bread of life. If you come to me, you're never gonna be hungry. If you believe in me, you're never gonna be thirsty. Do you know why, he says? Because I came down from heaven, he says. I'm from heaven, guys. And they're like, what's he mean? I've Come down from heaven, we know where his family is, we know where he grew up. Who does he think he is, God? Well, yeah. And it really doesn't matter who I think he was. And it really doesn't matter who you think he was. Jesus thought he was God. Right? Listen to this one. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one gets to the Father, God, unless he comes through me. So Jesus sits there and he says, I'm the only way to God, guys. only way there is. I'm the only truth. There is no your truth and my truth. I am the truth. In fact, he says, I'm the only hope that you've got, both for real life in this world and an unimaginably better life in the next. Guys, that's the real Jesus. These may be the most arrogant, intolerant words ever spoken, if they were spoken by anyone other than God the most outrageous claims ever made except for these because here it is I'm going to translate it literally from the Greek because that's what Jesus spoke these words in he says unless you believe that I am and if you look at it carefully he doesn't say I am what what he is he just simply says unless you believe I am you're gonna die in your sins Four verses later, I'm going to translate it literally again. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, you will know that I am. I am. And then at the end of the chapter, he does it again. Jesus says, I'm telling you, before Abraham was, before Abraham ever was, I am. Now, did you know, a lot of you guys do, but maybe you haven't heard this, I am is the Jewish name for God. Jehovah, Yahweh, the I Am. Jesus was claiming God's name. He was claiming to be God, that's who he thought he was, and they knew it because at that moment they started picking up stones to stone him, to kill him for blasphemy, for claiming to be God. So Jesus makes these God-sized promises. I can forgive your sins. I can forgive all of your sins. I can give you a better life, both in this world, and I can give you eternal life, right? If. And Jesus made these God-sized demands. He says, I have to be more important than anything in this world to you. In fact, you've gotta be willing to die for me. Is it worth it? Would it be worth it if Jesus could actually deliver on those promises? Well, the only way he could is if he were God. Can you see it, guys? How can you just like the real Jesus? If you're not going to worship him, you better hope he stayed dead. Because if you actually listen to what he said, he only gives you three options, right? You can fear him, you can hate him, or you can worship him. That's the real Jesus. He's either the craziest lunatic ever, the biggest liar ever, or he was God. Jesus was not just a great teacher, a great man, a great example. No great man would ever make the kind of demands or promises that Jesus made or the kind of demands that Jesus made or the claims that Jesus made. So how in the world can you just like Jesus? And then blow him off. How many of you guys have heard of a guy named Paul David Hewson? I don't see any hands. getting much light, but I don't see any. What if I told you he goes by the name Bono? Anybody heard of Bono? He's a Jesus follower. One of the most famous rock stars ever. One time Bono was interviewed by a rock journalist by the name of Mishka Asias, something like that. And they started talking about Bono's faith in God. And Isaiah said to him, Christ has his rank among the world's greatest thinkers. Great man, great teacher, but son of God, isn't that far-fetched? And here's what Bono said. I'm just gonna read you his words. Bono said, no, it's not far-fetched to me. Look at the secular response to the Christ story. He said the secular response to the Christ story always goes like this. People say he was a great prophet, interesting guy, had a lot to say along the lines of other great prophets, be they Elijah, Muhammad, Buddha, Confucius. But Bono said, Jesus doesn't allow you that. He doesn't let you off the hook. Jesus says, No, I'm not saying I'm a teacher. Don't call me a teacher. I'm not a prophet, I'm the Messiah. I am God incarnate, he says. Bono said, people say, no, please, just be a prophet, a prophet we can take. We know you're eccentric. We've had John the Baptist eating locusts and honey. We can handle that. But don't mention the M word, because if you keep saying that, we're going to have to crucify Jesus. Bono said, and Jesus responds, No. I know you expect me to come back with an army and actually set you free from all these creeps, but I am the Messiah. And at that point, he says, everyone starts staring at their shoes. And, oh, my God, he's going to keep saying this. So you're left with this. Either Christ was, who we said he was, the Messiah, or he's a complete nutcase. I mean, we're talking nutcase, Bono says, on the level of Charles Manson. This guy was like some of the people we've been talking about earlier, the kind of man strapping himself to a bomb and had king of Jews on on his head as they were putting him up on the cross. Okay, martyred him, here we go. Bring on the pain, I can take it. I'm not joking here. And he wrapped it up with this. Bono said the idea that the entire course of civilization for over half of the globe could have its fate turned and changed upside down by a nutcase, That's what's far-fetched. I've been talking about famous C.S. Lewis trilemma. C.S. Lewis said, I'm trying to hear to prevent anyone from saying the stupid thing that people often say about him. I'll accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I won't accept his claim to be God. Lewis said, That's one thing we cannot say. There's a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He'd either be a lunatic, about on the same level as a guy who thought he was a poached egg, or he'd be the devil of hell. Lewis said, You've got to make a choice. He is the Son of God, or he's a madman, or something worse. So you can shut Jesus up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him your Lord and your God. But Lewis says, let's not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great guy, a great teacher, a great example. Jesus didn't leave that option open to us. He didn't intend to. Hmm. So... What if Jesus actually could do what he promised? God sized promises. And what if Jesus actually meant what he demanded? God sized demands. Because what if Jesus actually is who he claimed to be? Now, I actually haven't gotten to the coup de grace, the linchpin, yet. That's still coming the resurrection of Jesus. Because here it is, guys. If a guy can actually predict his death and his resurrection and pull it off, I think you need to listen to him. And Jesus predicted how he would die and when he would rise, and then he pulled it off, which is pretty conclusive evidence that number one, there is a God and that Jesus is who he claimed to be. But we can't minimize what's at stake. Jesus says guys anyone who isn't with me opposes me and anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me which basically means you're either all in or you're out so some of you guys buy it and you're all in and that is so cool and if Jesus walked out of his tomb you are guaranteed to receive what he promised how cool is that and maybe for some of you guys, you're thinking about it, which is okay. The, guys, this is a big decision. It's the biggest decision you're ever going to make. Just remember, you need to make the call. And the sooner the better. You're not going to lose making this call, guys. And maybe some of you guys, you're, you've thought about it, and you're tempted, but you think the cost is too high. Because you know that if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to let him be your God. And that scares you. Listen, guys, if Jesus can actually do for you what he said he would do for you, wouldn't it be worth it? And if he really is God, doesn't he deserve it? And if you need just a little bit more evidence before you make your call, come back next week and the next week. And we're going to try to finish showing you how Jesus really is the linchpin your life with God. See, Tim Keller put it like this. He said, if the claims of Christ are not true, don't have anything to do with him because he's a wicked lunatic. But if Jesus did rise from the dead, his claims are true. And therefore, we should take everything in our lives and put them at his feet. We should build everything in our lives around him. Everything. And it'll make life way better for now and for forever. Do you buy that? So where are you? Where are you on this stuff? We come here to remind ourselves who we are what we're about. Are you a Jesus follower yet? If you're not and you feel him nudging you, let's talk. I'm going to be sitting right down here during this next song. We're going to sing kind of an invitation song, this next one. And come on down and let's chat. If you don't want to come this direction, we've got an elder praying for you in that prayer room. Go back there and talk to him. At 12 o'clock after both services are over, we're going to have this class that just talks about who we are and what we're about. Come there. and let's chatter about these things. If perhaps you've been drifting, you're a Jesus follower, but you don't have a family yet, then you need a home. And perhaps you'd make Capital City your home. We'd love to have you. If he's the Lord of your life, you're part of our family. If you want to affirm that connection, come on down and let's talk and let's make this your spiritual home. Let's pray together. Father, for Jesus, we give you thanks for grace, for the sacrifice that you made. And we pray, Lord, that you give us the courage, the wisdom, to be people of God. We love you dearly. In the name of Christ, we pray these things. Amen.
1: You guys go ahead and have a seat. My name is Logan. I'm one of the elders here. We are so excited that you decided to come to uh, check us out this morning. If this is your first time here, we're, we're thrilled that you decided to come. If you've been here before, welcome back. If you're watching online, Good morning. Just a few announcements before we let you guys leave today. Today, right after second service, right after the 11 o'clock service, is our first look lunch. If you are new to Cap City, maybe this is your second, third time here, or it's your first time here, or you've been here a long time and you still have questions. Why are there so many bald guys? How does Steve keep his shoes so white? Whatever those questions are, come to that first look lunch. You can ask those questions and we will be happy to answer those uh, for you. Uh, this coming Friday is our Next Gen Fish Frides, uh on April 29th, 5 to 8 p.m. This is a fundraiser to send our kids to summer camp, uh, so come show up uh, uh, for that. Really great event. Obviously, there's food there because we're a church, and, and that gets people to show up, so we're pretty excited about that. Uh, also, there's going to be a silent auction. A lot of these kids have worked really hard on uh, some art projects. Uh, there's there's going to be uh, all kinds of fun stuff, so make sure you show up for that. The next morning, super early, if you're not super full from fish the night before, we do have our men's fellowship breakfast. Uh, That is Saturday morning from 7.30 to 9, so that way you still get the rest of your Saturday. If you want more information on that, make sure to see Vern or Tommy Johnson. Be happy to give you some more info on that. So this morning we've been talking about who did Jesus say that he was. And and, and Doc went through the answers. It's very, very clear who he said he was. He said he's, he's God. Right, he, there's no option, and the question is, what do you do with that information? What do you do with that? Do you just stick it in your pocket and run it through the wash? You can't. There's a test. There is a test, and Matthew he records what that test is going to look like. Jesus is is talking to his disciples, and he asks them, "Who do the people say that I am?" Translation for today is, "Who does the world say that I am?" Well, Gandhi says you're you know pretty good guy. Then he looks at Peter, and he asks Peter, "Pop quiz." What about you, Pete? Who do you say that I am? And Peter he he had actually studied for this test. He said, "Well, you're God in a body. You're the Messiah." Peter had the right answer because there is only one right answer. It, it's it's black and white. It's you're God or you're not, and being God that's that's the truth. And so if you're having trouble with that answer this morning, I challenge you, stick around. Come see Doc. Come see one of us. Back in the back, there's a uh, an elder back there. Stop in there. Talk to him about it. And, and if you're confident in that answer, don't just keep it in. Go show it. So this week, I challenge you to do just that. Go show it. Get out. Okay? See you guys. Have a great week.